Another grade four. So today is Friday, May the 15th. We are on episode 14 of The Terrible Two. We just left off uh, last day, not quite at the end of the chapter because it was getting a little bit long for the read aloud, but we're in the middle of the chapter. But what had just happened was Stuart, um, who is in the bottom locker that Miles had convinced him would be so great to be in, just got a pie that sort of exploded into his face from inside the locker. So I'm thinking that this was Niles' prank and he was trying to play it on Miles, who used to be in that locker. And now somebody else, which is Stuart, got targeted. So in the book, if you ever get to see the book, it says this is what Stuart saw in his locker. And it has this whole thing about a catapult coming out and this mechanism and this whole machine kind of doing all it had to do in order for the pie to fly into his face. Okay. So what the what the what? Stuart pulled the aluminum pie tin from his face and began to wipe off whipped cream. That was crazy. Miles bent down and peered into Stuart's locker. The catapult was impressive, brilliant even. The whole prank combined classic styling. A good old pie in the face with an innovative pie delivery system. Only Niles Sparks could have dreamed up the contraption in locker number 337. But there was one problem. Niles Sparks had gotten the wrong locker. Ha ha, Miles said. He actually said ha ha. He didn't know we switched. Niles hadn't known about the locker switch. He'd been too busy planning and building and smiling, and he'd missed a crucial detail. Here was a little pranking rule for Niles Sparks. Don't miss crucial details. After a long streak of thwart pranks, Niles was now the thwarter. He had thwarted Niles just as Niles had thwarted him. While technically he'd benefited from an oversight, it wasn't exactly an act of thwarting, but a thwart was a thwart. Stewart picked off a maraschino cherry stuck above his left eyebrow and popped it in his mouth. Yum. It's like a Shirley Temple. Miles felt a pang of sympathy for Stuart. Collateral damage in the prank war. But then again, he seemed to be enjoying that cherry. The commotion attracted a crowd and the crowd attracted Barkin. Make way for me, make way for me, Barkin said. He plowed through the mob and surveyed the situation. Stuart creamed. Miles, nearby, himself, on the case. Stuart, said Barkin, you're covered in whipping cream. I know, said Stuart, there's a pie-flinging machine in my locker. Is there really, asked Barkin, getting purplish. He examined the inside of Stuart's locker. My, my, Barry, the principal muttered to himself, a catapult. He pulled a pair of latex gloves from his principal pack. Let's look for clues, shall we? Miles already knew what Barkin would find. Nothing. Niles may have made one mistake, but he wasn't going to make two. Nothing, Barkin said after some careful poking and prodding, but the investigation will continue. Miles pretended Barkin wasn't staring right at him. Barkin continued to stare right at him. The bell rang. Principal Barkin snapped to purple-faced attention. Get to class, everybody. That bell means you're late. Don't think I will hesitate to give 62 students detentions at once. I would welcome the chance to hold that world record. As the crowd dispersed, Miles glimpsed Niles looking on. Niles looked lost, dismayed, thwart, and for the first time in three weeks, Miles was the one smiling. He grinned at Niles and went to his locker, his upper locker, to grab his math book. Maybe he would have pizza for lunch today. Yes, that sounded pretty good. He swung open his locker door. Look at all those cherries, Stuart said. It's like your locker is a Shirley Temple factory. Miles hoped Barkin wasn't still staring right at him. He was. I didn't do it, said Miles. Strike three, said Principal Barkin.
So inside his locker in the picture in the book is a can of whipping cream and a big jar of maraschino cherries. So it looks like Miles was the one who did the pie uh, in, in the other locker, right? So it kind of framed him, I guess you could say. So chapter 26, Principal Barkin was relaxed. He sat back in his chair. His face was not purple or even deep red. It was face colored. Miles took this as a very bad sign. I think maybe I was framed, Miles said. You were framed, said Barkin. And who, Miles Murphy, would frame you? He couldn't rat. Lots of people? Lots of people. Miles Murphy, I don't doubt that lots of people dislike you, but this is because you are a prankster and now you just pulled another prank. I didn't do it, said Miles. And how do you explain the evidence? A coincidence? Yes, of course, a coincidence. But a locker full of whipped cream and cherries on the same day, Stuart got a face full of whipped cream and cherries. Quite a coincidence. And Stuart's locker, of course, was until Tuesday your locker, meaning you had the combination. So really, that's two coincidences. With all these coincidences, Miles Murphy, I'd suggest you hurry out and buy a lottery ticket, except for one thing. Today's your unlucky day. Miles slouched. Another reason I would not suggest you buy a lottery ticket, Barkin continued, is that it's illegal for a kid to buy a lottery ticket, so I'd never suggest it. Not that the law ever stopped Miles Murphy. It's also illegal for a kid to drive, and even more illegal for a kid to drive my car, and probably also illegal to park a car at the top of steps of the school, which I still don't understand how you did. I didn't, Miles said. Barkin chuckled. Never in all my years as principal has a car blocked the entrance to this school. Never has a swarm of crickets descended on a classroom full of good students, including my son Josh, who is a great student. Never have I come across a locker booby-trapped with a pie catapult. And you know what else I'd never been seen before this year? Barkin extended a surprisingly long index finger. You, Miles Murphy. Now tell me, is that just another coincidence? Yes, Miles said. Miles Murphy, do not interrupt, interrupt me. That was a rhetorical question. Don't you even know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that you really aren't looking for an answer and you just kind of put it out there. Um, so that's what he's saying. He's just not looking for the answer. Miles didn't know whether to answer. Barkin looked at him expectedly. Yes, Miles said. And that was a trick question, Barkin said. You were doomed whether you answered it or not. A classic Barkin trap. Miles winced. Outside in the distance, a cow mood. Don't you see, Miles Murphy? You can't win. In fact, you've already lost. The game was over the second you decided to take, to take on a Barkin. The principal pushed back his chair and leapt onto his maroon rug. The Barkins have been principals at Ioni Valley for five generations. Right now, it's not just me bearing down on you, Miles Murphy. You are feeling the full weight of history on your shoulders. Tangle with one Barkin and you, Barkin and you tangle with all of us. Principal Barkin gestured at a wall of portraits in chintzy frames. There are only four, Miles said. What? There are only four portraits. You said there were five generations of Barkin principals. Yes, well, my grandfather's portrait was removed. For a moment, Principal Barkin lost his momentum. Grandpa Jimmy had been a good man, always making silver dollars appear from behind little Barry's ears. He did the trick every Thanksgiving, the only time Barry's father let Grandpa Jimmy visit. What's that, some dirt behind your ears? Grandpa Jimmy would say. Then reaching forward, ta-da! A silver coin would appear between his grandfather's fingers. And that wasn't even the best part. After a 10-minute speech about the serious real-world importance of behind-the-ear hygiene, emphasizing both cleaning philosophy and technique, Grandpa Jimmy would give Barry the coin, so long as he promised to deposit it in his federally insured little saver's college savings account. Compound interest, Jimmy would say, that's the real magic trick. But Grandpa Jimmy had been soft. He'd cancelled school in the blizzard of 32 
besmirching Yanni Valley's otherwise perfect school operation record. Principal Barkin remembered the day his father, former Principal Barkin, then just Principal Barkin, took over this office. Take it down, Bertrand Barkin had said. Those were his first official words of principalship. And so Bert, the janitor, had removed the portrait of James Jimmy Barkin from the wall. After school, on the way to his dad's car, Barry saw the painting, its frame cracked, leaning against a green dumpster. He thought about sneaking it home, disobeying his father, stuffing it in the trunk, smuggling up to his room at night, and hiding it in the closet behind his blazers. But he hadn't. Maybe he should have. No, surely Barry Barkin had made the right choice that day, just as Bertrand had been right to take the portrait down, because a principal's authority must be absolute. There was no room for weakness. Principal Barkin's eyes refocused. Detention. After school. And before school. Every day until you leave this school. Miles sank. To be continued.